Jeff Johnston here, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, I have a special guest today, Terrence Williams from the wonderful state of Florida. Um, having a condo there for six years down in the Tampa Clearwater area, I became very fond of the great people in Florida and obviously the wonderful weather, um, unless you're in hurricane season, but um, we won't talk about that today. Hey, Terrence, great uh, to see you again, and uh, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. appreciate it. Thanks for having me and it's always a pleasure seeing you for sure yeah i mean i'm excited because you you're the first guest i've ever had on the show to talk about what we're going to talk about today because you know i'm on this quest and this mission to find all options available for mental wellness you know people that follow my story they know that our son seth died from a fentanyl overdose or poisoning let's say because that's what it was uh in 2016 when fentanyl really wasn't known you know, mental health was discussed, but it was still kind of taboo. There was a lot of stigmas with it. And then I watched right after that, you know, my wife really, um, not, not that there's a good way to handle losing a child, but certainly there's a bad way. And, you know, I was on that road as well. And that's what the better, not bitter mindset's all about, you know? Um, and unfortunately I watched, I watched my wife, you know, slowly succumb to the disease of alcoholism. Um, that, that really came from the grief of losing a child. So, you know, I went from Terrence, age 50, not really caring anything about mental health. You know, I was your typical American capitalist. And then, you know, six, seven years later, now I'm 57, widowed, you know, minus a son and, you know, a chance, you know, a time in my life when I should be out traveling with my wife and enjoying the fruits of my labor. So I bump into you on LinkedIn and I see what you're doing for mental health. And I'm like, I got to get this guy on my show and talk more about, uh, um, well, before I tell anybody, why don't you tell people a little bit about you and then we can talk about what you're, uh, what you do with mental health. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Terrence Williams. I am the founder of Meta Wellness. My company builds virtual reality simulations for mental health professionals, like coaches, therapists, nonprofits, so that they can have their experiences, their telemental, telehealth sessions, their group sessions, exposure therapy, all types of things in virtual reality in the metaverse. I've been creating simulations for about two years now, work with over a hundred different clients and we're continuously to grow and it's been a it's been a it's been a ride. It's definitely been a ride. Doing especially doing something so new and just the effects of it has been just amazing. So we're here now and we're still gonna grow and it's been it's been a pleasure so far. So that's just that's a little bit about me. Yeah, the interesting part for me, Terrence, is you know, the traditional way of dealing with mental health, mental illness challenges is to, you know, send your child or yourself to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist or a doctor. And then that person would then would, would assess you. And then based on their experience and whatever, you know, models yeah. they are using to diagnose, they'll come up with a label for you. And yeah. then based on that label, that depends on what type of insurance benefits you can get depends on what type of medicine you're prescribed. And that's, that's kind of the way that we've done mental health. Um, and I, I call it very reactive, yeah. not proactive. It's very treatment based, not prevention based. Yeah, so, you know, again, I started thinking to myself, there's got to be other ways out there that are yeah. very invasive, you know, non-invasive, um, you know, and, and effective for mental health, coping therapy, things like that, or maybe even prevention. So the thing, the, the world of VR has always um, interested me. Now, I will tell you at my age, I'm very naive on this topic, Terrence. You yeah. know, I've done the headset, the Oculus or whatever. I got almost claustrophobic with it in a way, um, oh, which is you. which is ironic because I scuba dive, so I'm very comfortable being in you know that, those areas. Yeah. But and then that that claustrophobic feeling kind of went away. And um, but you know I can certainly see where if you can create 
because we're such a visual uh, species, you know. Um, right. And, and I, I know personally for me, I, I like to see things more than I like to be hearing things or even right. feeling things. So step yeah. us through, step us through where this idea came about, why you think this is an effective way for maybe veterans or people that are dealing with um, anxiety or depression, why virtual reality can be, you know, a, a, an extra arrow in the quiver. It may not be the one thing that solves everything, but it's certainly something that gives you more ability to fight. Yeah, absolutely. And whew, wow, where do I start? So <laughs> I guess everybody has their origin story, right? So my origin story started at a mattress store and I worked at this mattress company for about a year. And during that year, I had a trainer named Hope. Her name was Hope, ironically. Yeah. And at this mattress store, there's two reasons why I, I really despise this mattress store. The first reason was because everybody, no matter if the store manager, the training manager, and I was hired as a training manager. So the training manager, the store manager, and the area manager all made the same salary. So if you got promoted to be a store manager, it's the same salary as the training manager. Mm. And I had just got my master's. So being able to be stuck and not be able to grow with the company. And it was just day one. And I didn't even tell me this, right? Going in there and didn't even know that this was the the ceiling, that I already hit the ceiling day one was very was very hard for me because I had just got my MBA. I had so much ambition. Yeah. Et cetera. And the second reason it was so bleak was because of my trainer, Hope. Hope made my life miserable every wow. single day. Yelling at me, antagonizing me. How she old were you at this time? I was 26, 27. Okay. Just fresh out of masters. And, and and no matter what I did, I remember getting my first sale. was so happy. Ran up to her. She just yelled at me, told me to go clean the bathroom. Like, and would tell me I'm worthless, just all that. So over time, I developed, I got, I got depressed. And my first time ever feeling depressed was during this time. Isn't that, and, isn't that just so unnecessary? I mean, for anyone listening to this, that's in a position of leadership. I mean, wow, what a, what a buzzkill, literally. I mean, what a way to take a young yeah. man who's got a lot of fight, a lot of heart, and then just beat him down like that. I mean, but there's a lot of people out there that that's how they run their businesses. It was, it was really, it was really, really traumatic. Well, I want to say traumatic. It was very, very depressive time in my life because, you know, you're sitting in this, in this store with mattresses, with all these, all these beds, these temper you're not allowed to lay on any of them. <laughs> and you're just sitting here getting yelled at and belittled. I'm getting weight. You're stuck there sometimes 10 hours a day, not seeing mm. any customers. It was just horrible. And I remember one day she got a phone call and her, she got, it was another area manager who promoted her to an area manager of a different district. And she was just so excited. She was crying. And this was a woman who complained about working at this company every single day. Mm. And this one phone call made her, you know, so excited to join, to be a part of this. She was already there for 10 years. So for mm. her to just get another promotion, same salary, more responsibilities, I just knew that I couldn't be stuck like this for the next 10 years. Right. Started hearing stuff about the metaverse. My, my buddy had a pair of Oculus goggles. He put them on me, said, holy crap. I started getting goosebumps. I looked around me. There's birds flying. There's people yeah. talking in the background. I'm just like, what is this? And he was like, not only is this, am I seeing this? He was like, there's ways to actually learn how to do this. So I, imp I imported the rule of 100. And the rule of 100 states that if you take 100, 100 hours in a year, which is 18 minutes a day, and you dedicate 18 minutes a day to a certain discipline, whether it's swimming, piano, yeah writing, yep. dedicate 18 minutes a day, which is hundred hours a year that you'll end up at the end of the year being 95% better than the entire population in that discipline. I believe so yeah. that's, what I, so yep. that's what I did. 
Yeah, and it's I'm funny because you, you don't yeah. need, you know, massive amounts of commitment. It's 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 the quality of the time that you're committed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then from there, I started doing things with, you know, I started creating these simulations. I started building houses and all these other things and nobody liked it. Did you have a technology a background or did you have a, were you schooled in that at I, all? I, I, I My master's was in business and my bachelor's was in advertising. I literally was almost held back for math in the third grade before. Suffered through math my entire entire student, you know, career and stuff. And then I just ended up in my math. It was into my master's program. I took a class called econometrics and it was the only class I had. It was the last class I had to pass in order to get my master's. I had to literally force myself to learn math to a, to a degree. So I literally stalked my teacher every day. I found his number. I was messaging him, uh-huh. texting him like, Hey, like little things like this. And then it was so funny because I ended up really getting a C in the class, but he was like, yo, you went so hard this year. I'm just going to give you the B bro. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just, Effort paid off, yeah. Yeah, it's effort, and sometimes that's all it is. And then, so I started developing all these simulations as I started learning things. And then from there, I just started learning about the impact of just how virtual reality just has in general. And there's just so many different stories that we could talk about. But just virtual reality in general, it's it's not as new as people think. It's kind of been around. It just it's just now that we're starting to hear about the metaverse and AI mm-hmm. and VR and all these things, and it's coming about. So I would build simulations. For, I mean, you mentioned claustrophobia before. I built a simulation where somebody who suffered claustrophobia would go into an elevator. The elevator doors would close in on him. The doors would start shaking. Mm-hmm. He would start feeling really compacted. And the exposure therapy is one of the best forms of using VR. And he was cured of his claustrophobia hmm. because you're able to put them in this controlled environment over time to let them conquer their fear. And then you can manipulate the outcome, maybe to show them that, hey, you know, it's not as bad as you think. Right. Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. There is a guy, one of the famous stories. His name is this guy's name is Jimmy Castellones. I love this story. Jimmy was in Iraq serving you know, his deployment there. He was only five months in, in Iraq. He had his best, he ended up having a best friend there. He, over time, had his bunk mates, his comrades, whatever. A part of his job was to go on convoys and go out into Iraqi villages and like pick up things, monitor civilians, etc. On this specific day, his commanding officer told him to switch positions with his bunk mate, which was his best friend. So his bunk mate, so he had to stay behind and basically watch the camp while his mm-hmm. best friend took his position and rolled out into Iraq. About 10 minutes down, he could see the convoy going off, going out to the to the array, to the distance. He sees a helicopter go over his head. Next thing you know, he sees his friend's, his comrade's convoy blow up from a bomb. Mm. He gets into a, a car, rushes over there. He notices that there is a guy who was supposed to, who was sitting in the same seat he was supposed to sit in that night wow. was dead. Wow. His comrade, his bunkmate, was paralyzed in the back, in the back seat, at screaming in pain. His other two comrades are in the car, all died as well. Wow. So he went through this traumatic experience. And then after he left Iraq, he was still suffering from PTSD. He had nightmares. Mm-hmm. He would go into the bathroom, into public bathrooms. And if he saw, he would just check between doors, between mm-hmm. different stalls and et cetera, check behind locks, all these type of things. He had a phone call from one of his, his mentors, and it was... Somebody that he was a mentor that basically got him into the college that he got into after Iraq. And they were talking about how they're doing this test with VR. So he was chosen as one of the 10 participants for this study, right? So mm-hmm. it was him and these nine other people who all suffer from a different form of PTSD. Because I want people to remember that one out of three people who go through a traumatic event suffer from PTSD. Whether mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't always have to be war, it can be gun yeah, violence. Yeah, that's a lugging. good point. 
happening, all different types of things. Yep. So they got to different people from different backgrounds. But with him, they put him in a room and they gave him a prop M16 gun. And they put him into this room. They put the VR headsets on. And next thing you know, he hears a helicopter again going over. Wow. He opens his eyes. He sees helicopters going. He hears artillery shells ringing from his ear. He sees soldiers running to the distance, shooting at their enemies. And he started freaking out. This was Iraq all over again. But they, after six months of this treatment, just going over over time, he was completely healed from his PTSD. He doesn't remember the last time he had a dream about Iraq. So we love stories like that because it's just so powerful. But we see so many different things happen with VR. There's so many different studies that go on. So it's really cool. How do you how do you protect against someone getting triggered, you know, to a negative impact? I mean, um, you know, yeah. what, what what type of protocols are there to make sure that, you know, that doesn't set somebody off, you know? Yeah. So there's, the really cool thing about VR is you don't have to be in there alone, right? So when Jimmy is in there, you can have other people in this virtual reality simulation that can kind of monitor what's going when on. When you mean in, you mean in the room or actually like in the screen? Like, I don't know the both. terminology. Okay. Yeah, both. So in, in the actual virtual reality state, uh, simulation with you. Simulation. And okay. they're also going to be in the actual room with you gotcha. as well. Just have your VR headsets as well. So then you're able to control how serious, how long okay. the... The, you know, it's just like a video game. It can be easier hard mode too. Yeah. So you can have it to where it's just like a couple enemies that you can see in distance, or you can have a whole battlefield where bombs are going off everywhere. You can control the environment. And over time, you want to get to that easy mode, to that hard mode in the controlled simulation. Simulation that way you can get over it and conquer it. But we see effects of VR all over the place. With PTSD, we're seeing success rates over 90%. When it comes to phobias, phobias and traumas, we're seeing success rates of 83%. So, so far, it's been so good. So far, it's been good. Yeah, and that's really what we need. We need to have more options on the table. Um, you know, right now, there's just um, what is out there. Uh, if it was working, we'd see the numbers getting better, but they're not. You yeah. know, so, yeah, it's like when I, when I meditate, I wear a mask. I didn't used to. I used to just sit there and close my eyes, you know, and then meditate. But recently, I've been actually wearing a, a mask to keep it really dark. Um, and it's it's changed the quality and the intensity of my meditation. Uh, I think I can get deeper with, when yeah. I block out all the light. And yeah. I almost I almost have a little more, you know, when you close your eyes and it's it's fairly, you know, your eyes adjust maybe to the, if it's not pitch black in the room, you still see things even with your eyes closed. I mean, you you, yeah. you know, you can see debris and things like that on your eyelids and then and then you can actually see uh you can actually see things like like a vision you know like you're dreaming even during yeah. meditation so i've just noticed that the intensity of my meditation sessions are better when i completely block out the sunlight so maybe there's something about that contributing to the vr experience since it is it is blocking out external light but then the world that's created internally inside the oculus um yeah. there's there's something about that environment that maybe allows people to role play or, you know, kind of test out scenarios, you know, all types of things. So there was a study when it comes to behavioral medicine and they had burn victims. And what they found was what they did was they put them in a VR setting and the VR setting was in the snowy mountains. You can actually have a snowball fight, create snowmen, etc. Huh. They put these people in this simulation for three weeks. And what they found was that at the end of three weeks, 35 to 50% of just their pain was just relieved, just being in this simulation for this period. So they're finding all different types of ways to really impact. But going back to what you were saying about just the meditation, we're seeing 
that as well when it comes to especially when it comes to NBA players there was a company that reached out to me and said they're doing VR for sports and etc so when NBA players before they actually go into the game they can actually put on the headsets just listen mm-hmm. to a nice breeze of the music be in a nice beach and just sit there and just meditate and just relax before games happen so which is pretty cool as well so I guess this begs the question if if this is the results have looked really promising and and it seems like there's more up upside and more positive things from these experiences than bad then what are the barriers to entry for the you know I, I think I know the answer because you and I talked about this a week ago but what are the what are the challenges to to get this in the hands of, of you know everybody out there what's what's the barriers for most people Oh, there's a there's a biggest barrier is just the ubiquitous and I'm just having getting these headsets to on everybody. They're not just as popular as just having a laptop or yeah. a iPhone yet. Apple's coming out with their headsets. Sony has theirs. Facebook has theirs. I think it will be more ubiquitous in the future. But right now, it's just not that common to see. And also because an average headset can cost two ninety nine to three ninety nine. So when people think about that, they don't want to necessarily invest into just doing that thinking that is just for one cause, right? Just for one therapy. But yeah. The cool thing about Oculus is you can use it for that. You can have you can watch Netflix on it. I was watching the Lakers Grizzly game yesterday courtside. So in the Oculus and the virtual reality. Oh, sitting, really? Yeah, I was sitting courtside in VR and it looked just like I was at the actual game, but I was just sitting courtside. So it wasn't it wasn't playing the game live. It was just a it's just a, a fake game. No, it was the real game. Really? Yeah, they're so you're the watching real the real game live on the Oculus on TV, but it looks like I'm oh. actually there. It's, it's like so. So the just so yeah. I people understand the clarity, it would be just like you're watching it on wow. TV. So wow. it doesn't look fake at all, but it actually makes it feel like you're actually at the game. So hmm. it looks like you're at the actual game, but you're just sitting courtside just watching it, and everybody can. See, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So I was, at, I was able to watch LeBron do his thing last night. So that was pretty fun. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's been pretty well. But I think the, another big thing is what we see in just therapy is, in general is that a lot of men just don't gravitate toward therapy. Yeah. So I think that's another barrier as well, because what we're finding is when we actually put these put men in these simulations, they're actually way more open and honest than they would be if they were like face to face. And I'll give you an example when it comes to marriage counseling. So we have marriage counselors that tell me like, hey. We've worked with this guy and his wife, and this guy has never opened up. And it's been two weeks. We tried VR. They both in their digital space and they're communicating. And the man has been just way more open and honest hmm. about his feelings and stuff. Because when you're in there, you see the person's digital format, their digital avatar. You don't oh. see their their actual face. So being able to talk to their digital avatar has been given a sigh of more comfortability when it comes for men. It's almost like cool. texting, you know, texting's easier because you can just text and oh yeah, I'm you don't have to see someone's face and all that. But um, oh yeah, texter for sure. Yeah. So, do you suggest people use the VR, you know, from a frequency standpoint, like daily, or is it weekly, or is it something you plan on doing for a lifetime, or is there is there a so, process or a system you guys have developed that you think works well for mental health? Yeah. So it depends on what people are looking for. So with our environments, we, we create anything. So you can have a sit-alone session with, with a client. You can have a group session, anything like Alcohol Anonymous with people. Mm. You can have exposure therapy when it comes to, like I was mentioning, that, a snowman, a snowball fight. There's so many different ways. But I just suggest that anybody that uses VR is to just talk to their therapist first. Let the therapist be in, you know, more so in control over 
the aspects of what they're doing. So rely on them. Don't try to actually do it for yourself and say, you know, go to somebody and say, hey, build, I'm a war veteran, build me something, you know, to conquer my PTSD. And you don't have any support or any, mm. you know, support from a therapist or, yeah. or any money there with you. So I would So do it's that. not an isolated, like one and done thing. It's something where it's incorporated. Weeks, yeah. It's It's incorporated within your whole mental health plan. Well, for me, I just build the simulations. So a lot of the people that I work with, so they will build, They when I give it to them, it's kind of just on their own to what they want to do with it. But usually, yeah, it's never just a one-time thing. They have, they do this for like a, a successful amount of time period, because what we see is when it hits the three to six weeks, we start seeing success rates of like 60, 70% when they start staying in the treatment that long. So usually that's typically how long people stay in there their scenarios. So. so if someone doesn't have an Oculus, um, you guys provide them either to purchase or to rent. Is that right? We do. We do. So they can either purchase or rent through us. Through our platforms, we have to have Oculus. There's a lot of other companies that do it. They have their own type of headsets. And there's a difference when it comes to quality or interactiveness or what certain companies can do with their VR platforms. It's not a one-shop all like this company can do exactly what this company mm-hmm. can do. Some companies can make it look extremely like it looks like the beach, but you can't do anything on the beach. Hmm. And there's other companies that it looks a little bit cartoonish on the beach, but hey, I can play volleyball on the beach. So there's a difference of clarity and and and, and et cetera, what you get out of it. So is this considered the metaverse then? It is. Okay. Yeah. Everyone that we're dealing with, like we create these platforms, it's in the virtual reality simulations, but it is in the metaverse. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't have any... Uh, I'm pretty naive on on that whole topic. I don't have never <laughs> I've never spent time in the metaverse. Um, it's all good. You will in the future. <laughs> yeah, it seems like yeah. Uh, so where's the pushback coming from? Where where do you get? Do you have any industry people to say, oh, this is just um, snake oil salesman? This is just smoke and mirrors, or this is something that's just a gimmick? I mean, or or you're not getting a whole lot of pushback from people, maybe other than availability and price. Well, that's that's the, that's one thing that we get. We also get a lot of like HIPAA questions. So people are like, Oh, is this HIPAA compliant or how about insurance? Is in any way this is covered under insurance yet? Not from, not from what we deal with. I'm not too completely sure on how other people are handling it. I would think not though. Yeah. For um, now, we never know. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like just people are kind of put regulations on crypto. It's kind of like, yeah, not a is now stepping in. It's like, wait, hold on. I need to get my cut of the money now. So yeah, as time goes on, I'm pretty sure there'll be a lot more regulations that go on. But right now, absolutely nothing. And, you know, we we, we talk about trying to get people just as much involved in this as possible. Because when I first started out as a man going through these trials and tribulations from the mattress store, learning how to code all these things, going through my depressive mindset, I really just learned over time how men are just affected and don't seek out therapy as much as women do. Mm-hmm. But feel as though and i think i might mention this before when it comes to different countries or different societies in the west like the united kingdom the united states united kingdom for example the united kingdom the number one cause of death for men under the age of 45 is suicide and mm. i think stuff like that really staggers me it's really it's really baffling to think but in, and i looked at the united states the number two cause of death is suicide yep Number one cause of death is homicide. So if we're not killing ourselves, we're killing each other. And there's just not a lot of outlets that men are taking. So I hope that VR will be just an outlet that men can eventually gravitate toward to try to get to a better place in life. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems it seems to me that um, 
this this VR option will become a lot more prevalent because I think we are really seeking ways to get our mental health better. And men right. particularly, it's it's been abysmal for us, our inability to be vulnerable and to share stories because of um, shame and guilt and that, you know, hey, we were raised to be toughen up. I come from the generation, you know, where, where I grew up with three brothers, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. we had problems. We just, we kind of just figured it out ourselves, you know, through conflict resolution, et cetera. And yeah. it just seems like men are very, um, distant. Even today we have prog, we have lots of progress on men's mental health. Yeah. We still well, can know, do so much better. I, when it comes to men, men in therapy, they get treated like women in therapy. So a lot of men, they go in for depression and, and what therapists do, they treat them like women with depression. So when men go into therapy, they're made to feel loved and accepted. But how men really want to feel is respected and powerful. They want to mm -hmm. feel competent. They want to be respected by their peers and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So when a man goes into therapy, he's not getting what he needs most of the time because they're going in and treating his depression as if they're treating a woman with depression. But yeah. people don't realize we're two completely different creatures at right. the end of the day. Or biologically different, like how you're saying you you and your brothers did conflict, and that's how you were raised. That's how a lot of men just kind of look at the world. We're we're taught to be stoic, but I think it's a lot of a, a lot of innate and stuff that God put in us. And when it comes to our biology, like God made us this way for an example. So, and when I, I say that because in this society now today, it seems like they want us, they want men to be more emotional. Yeah, yeah. And then that's for more emotions. That's when you get school shooters. That's when you get rapists. That's when you get kidnappers. It's men that can't control their emotions that are the most dangerous men in society. But you can actually teach a man to to understand his role in society and also give him the therapy that he needs when it mm -hmm. comes to helping him feel respected and competent so that he can grow into his purpose. That's when you'll start seeing progress. And that's when I think you'll see a lot of men go into therapy more. And you see right now just a proliferate, proliferate, proliferate. <laughs> You see the numbers of young, uh, young men, teenage, you'll say teenage boys that are really, really struggling, lack of hope, lack of um, purpose, lack of meaning, frustrated, yeah. frustrated with everything from, you know, the, the political conversations that adults have that can't be, can't even, ha you know, I could sit around back in the day and watch my grandpa and my dad talk politics and boy, it was very cordial. Yeah. You know, now, yeah, you, now you bring up, you know, Trump at a table and you don't know who's going to get who's yeah. going to get stabbed. Yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. You can't even have conversations because there's so much hatred. And I think young men get they get pulled into following people. You know, you know the people on social media. I won't name names, but you know some of these men that are not leaders of men. They're just intimidating young men to basically buy into their ideology. It's almost right. like a cult. And so there's yeah, this yeah. generation of young men. You know, fifteen to twenty out there it's a large block of humanity that's very frustrated um they don't feel like they're getting support they feel like hey if i if i show that i'm a strong man i'm going to get criticized by society that toxic masculinity issue where where men today are almost afraid to show you know that inner thing we were born with you know that that drive that yeah. that kind of wants to be sucked out of us by society to make us a lot more uh laid back maybe and more conforming yeah. When it comes to toxic masculinity, I don't remember the person's name, but the person who coined the name it was, I think it was the two brothers. When they, when they coined the name, it came from their father, who was a military person, who was a very strict, straight to the book, you know, no BS type of guy. Mm -hmm. 
And they took that personality and they coined the term toxic from it. And I believe in masculinity. I don't believe in the abuse of masculinity, especially right. when it comes to harming anybody, especially women. I believe that as a man, your your job is to protect women, provide for women. And, you know, especially when I think about stories like the Titanic, when it was come down to women and children on the boat and the men stood behind to protect the woman and go down with the ship to make sure that the women and children got safe. I believe that as a man's duty to always protect and revive. So I believe in that wholeheartedly, but I do believe you're right. There is a lot of propaganda from a lot of different people that are trying to tell people, this is how a man should be to embrace violence, to try to, to create violence, to try to hurt other people. And I don't believe that is the key. I believe that men and women are both happy when they're together. And I believe that a lot of the things that men are missing now is the fact that they're missing a woman at home. So you mentioned a lot of 15 and 16 year olds. There's a study done right now that was between the age of 18 and 30 that men between the age of 18 and 30 are either a virgin or haven't had sex in a year. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing now that in the year 20, by the year 2033, that 45% of women will either be single or without children. Mm-hmm. And I always am a firm believer that uh, one reason that men never went to therapy was because their women was also their therapist. And mm-hmm. women have a natural healing power about them that is so unparalleled that people can't even imagine. Right. When you are going through something, when you are hurt, because as a man, we are built to take on more suffering, to take on more trauma and et cetera. But we also have a healing that we need. And our woman was that healing. If you look at any hero, Spider-Man, Superman, mm-hmm. when he's down, he doesn't have the energy, the courage, the heart to keep going. It's the words of Lois Lane. It's the words of Mary Jane that actually gets him to that point to want to get up and save the day because he remembers what he's fighting for. Men have always fought for women. That's why they got it to go fight. And this is why a lot of men went out to war. It wasn't because they wanted to go out to battle. It's because they knew they had to protect their woman. And yeah. I believe I believe teaching that level of masculinity is imperative. But the toxic side of it, I do see why people see that a lot of things are toxic. But masculinity can be a beautiful thing, just like femininity can be a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, it's it's a respect thing. I mean, it, it just comes down to respect. It's like, you know, um, I... I grew up, I'm 57. So I grew up in a generation where my mom was always like, and my dad was, you know, everybody's, you know, in our best mindset, everything, everybody's equal. Um, And then, you know, help out those that are older, help out, help out women if they need help. And so like today it's conflicting because in the last year I've had situations where I was in an airplane and there was luggage up there and, you know, we landed and people were kind of antsy to get off. And there was an old, you know, a lady, not older in this case, it was um, like a college lady trying to get her luggage down. And I leaned over to help and I instantaneously got the death look, you know, like, what are you doing? I don't need, I don't need a man's help. And then, you know, that same day I'm, I'm going down and there's a door and I, I reach over to open the door. And whenever I do that for a woman, I always say, Oh, I'm old school. I'm sorry if this offends you, but I'm old school. And most of them are very polite and they say, Oh, thank you. And thank you. But it's like, I think men get really conflicted today. It's like, you know, am I supposed to open doors for women? Am I supposed to help carry things? You know, th- that's how I am wired. Whether I offend a woman or not, that's not my intent. I, I, I just learned from my dad to do that. And my mom, it's like, help that old lady across the street. I don't care what they look like. I don't care if they're rich or poor. And it's the same way I go through my day. I'm, I'm always that way. But every so often I kind of get that death stare like, what are you doing? I don't need a man to help me. And I'm like, well, I'm this sorry, but I'm, I'm doing it again. The next person I see, I'm going to open the door for. That's just the way I am. Yeah. And I think it's more of a Western society thing. It's, this independent movement is, is really 
kind of, you know, like I said before, 2033, 45% of women are going to be single without kids. And it's a lot of that independent, like, don't help me. I don't need a man. But I don't think you really hear men saying that they don't need women. I think men understand how important women are, even if it's just from a healing side or just a, an emotional side. But I think we live in a society where women truly, you know, we, they are a lot privileged more. They're, they're able to work a lot more now. They're able to have these careers and et cetera. They're, they're making a lot more money than men in a lot of different areas. And, and, you know, it comes with a lot of independence that they feel as though they don't, don't need a man for certain things. But I think in general, we need each other. You know, men need women, women need men and women need men one by proxy, because if the whole world, if the lights went out, I think it would become a very savage place very quickly. You look at a lot of just different riots that happened in Maryland, et cetera. When there was no law and order, people tore the streets up. And I don't think women understand maybe to a sense how destructive men could be, how vicious men can be. We live in a very nice society where everything's protected. You have the military, you have the police, you have the guard, you have all these people around you to protect you. But if everything just went off just like that, people will realize how quickly and dark the world could really be very fastly. Yeah, I there's no question that that is true. If you just look at situations where there's, you know, a little bit of a letdown from protection and, and it, all hell breaks loose many times, um, yeah. you know, um, so, you know, going back to um, different ways people can improve their mental health. I mean, for you personally, Terrence, what are some things you can divulge to our listeners that you do for your self-care? And let's don't count VR because obviously we know <laughs> you're very pro in that area. But what are some things that you do that you you go to kind of your go to mental health um, coping mechanisms for Terrence when he needs a pick me up? I work out three times a week and I play Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> my, uh, those are my relief, my relief, my relief times as well. So but yeah, I work out three times a week and, you know, I stay try to stay consistent with it. And whether I'm seeing results or not, just being dedicated and focused on something as a goal, I think a lot of people could benefit from. It doesn't even have to be working out. I think people should pick up a certain habits or certain traits or or certain hobbies, or I'm trying to say, like, even if it's like riding a bike, mm-hmm. just be dedicated to it. Learn something about it. Try to get better at it every single day, especially on the man's side, because I, I spoke on this earlier, how men need a purpose and a vision. Absolutely. And when a man has that vision, it doesn't matter. He'll walk through glass. He'll go through a burning building. He doesn't care as long as he has a purpose and a vision to get yep. to his goal. Yep. He'll go the way. So get into a hobby that could definitely benefit you. Impact the in, input the rule of a hundred. Pick up a skill, whether it's writing, speaking, something, but just dedicate it. And once you start seeing yourself grow and become better at it, it's a confidence builder. Whether that's in the gym, whether that's swimming, playing basketball, whatever you decide to do. Just dedicate time to actually learn and get better at it. And I think over time, it's going to actually make you feel like, make you feel better inside because you're actually progressing in something. So, Do you think sometimes that when it comes to purpose, meaning and purpose, that we are searching for meaning and purpose where we should be allowing meaning and purpose to come to us? In other words, we, we want to, you know, I'm, I'm at a certain age where it's important for me to have like a calling. Right. And I found it, you know, through death, what's important to me in my life. And for some people though, you know, purpose hasn't revealed to them yet. They don't really know what their purpose is. How, how do you get somebody to say in their mid fifties, uh, man or woman doesn't matter. And they're struggling with finding purpose. How do you get someone to actually find their purpose 
uh, or, or do you just kind of go through life and have faith and confidence and all of a sudden one day purpose will just show up like a vision, kind of like what it did for me. I wasn't certainly intending to be doing this six years ago. Um, yeah. But so, I mean, I guess my question is this. What, what do you tell somebody that's struggling with trying to find their meaning and purpose? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the biggest, the best thing that you can do is that understand that your dreams and what you may call your purpose could possibly change. Yeah. You may want to be a painter one year and Hands then you down. Like, you're right. Yep. The, the, the thing is, and this is where a lot of people seem to drop the ball is it's really not most so about purpose is more so about consistency. Mm-hmm. When you are consistent in something, no matter what it is, because you know, every day I don't wake up, feel like building VR stuff. Every day I don't feel like doing certain things. There's going to be days where I absolutely hate it. Days that I actually really get excited about it. Days I really feel like it's the purpose. It's about the consistency. Mm. Any successful person, no matter if they had an idea, let's take, let's take Mark Zuckerberg, for example. Mark Zuckerberg, when he first developed Facebook, he wanted it to be a dating app. Yep. He, he that's where he went to. If he would have just stuck on, I'm going to be a dating app. This is my purpose, my purpose. It would have never been a dating app. Right. He was able to evolve, but he still stayed consistent with Facebook to where it could grow into something differently. And he's, and now it's going to VR. Now he bought out Instagram, which now Instagram is the biggest dating app right now. So he still was able oh. to accomplish his dream and his purpose. But I think the purpose that men really need, it's not specific to a certain thing. It's just about giving back to your community and being a positive light and being something or somebody that is respected for whatever, because you know, you can dig dirt for a hundred million dollars a year, but it's not your purpose. So if your purpose is to have that money where you can build foundations for children that are that need homes and et cetera, you can use that skill that you have to develop a certain purpose. Once you develop certain skills, different purposes, different dreams can come about it. It's about staying focused and consistent because consistency is the is the key. You know, everyone the difference between people that fail and succeed, the people that succeed just stay more consistent than the people that failed. Yeah, there's no question because, you know, to change behavior, you have to do so many things, so many days in a row and be very consistent with that. If you want to change behavior, um, that's yeah. I don't know what how many days it is, but it's like 20 or something days that you have to do something. Um, yeah, I, I told part- you I was really big when I, I was like, when I was working at the master store, I got really, really fat. Right. And I hated working out. I hated the cardio. So what I did was I said, you know what? No matter if I hate it, love it, I don't get any results. 20 minutes a day for three days a week, I'm going to the gym to lift weights. And I lost 20 pounds over a span of five or six months. People want results so quickly. Sometimes it does. it's not about getting the yeah. results quickly. It's about putting in the work and the time and the effort to yeah. get there. If you want to, if you want to just get a six pack and get surgery to have it, you're not going to appreciate your six pack as right. if you're going to actually go to the gym and earn it. And once right. a man actually earns something, he's going to feel respected. He's going to feel as though he has met his purpose or he's fulfilling his purpose. And that's what men need. That is so true. There's something about when you change your mindset and you're more of in service for other people. And I say that in this context that you're in service of other people without expecting anything back in return. It's almost like doing something anonymously today. It's hard to do that because if I go work at a homeless shelter or go work at a, you know, nursing home and try to help people with whatever they're going through, the inclination is to go to Facebook or LinkedIn and show pictures of me with these people and then brag. And, and in a way I can see the utility of that because showing you're doing something good could get other people to say, Hey, if Jeff can do it, maybe I can do it. You know, 
Um, so there is some benefit in that, but it can get a little bit narcissistic in a way, especially in social media where people are constantly posting, you know, their, um, their whole life. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I get it. I fall to that trap as well. I mean, if I give a speech for a rotary club, you know, I want to post that I gave a speech. It helps, it helps with our brand. It helps with what we're trying to do in regards to our app we're launching. I mean, all that goodwill, but I think that can be overplayed in the mental health space. Sometimes I think sometimes you hear people kind of going to their, their story, like too frequently. And I think, yeah. I think people at some point can almost get turned off by that. Yeah. Um, and I've been pretty, I, you know, early on, it was hard for me to walk into a room and not within a couple seconds be talking about Seth you know, immediately, you know, yeah. because that, that's where my heart was. And I always, I thought, you know, everybody's interested about what happened to Seth and how he died and all that. But after a while I realized everybody's interested in their own story yeah, and not yeah. a lot less about mine. And, they and so I've, you. so yeah. I've learned yeah. to kind of, I've, I've learned to tell my story now as a way to give permission to other people to share their stories to me. So now I spend a lot less time on what happened to me, why it happened to me, you know, looking for sympathy or pity. And now my time is, okay, I'm going to tell you a, a nugget about me and my story, but I want to hear your story. I want to hear why mental health is important to you. I want to hear what happened in your childhood that made you realize that, you know, men need some uh, support systems out there as they get older. You know, that that's, that's my real motive now today is I want to find out a little bit more, you know, and that's why the podcast has been great. Cause you talked about working in the mattress store. You talked about your weight. You know, you've already relieved, you, you revealed some personal things about you to a stranger that you've only met twice. And now you have an audience out there that can hear your story. And that's, I think there's something in that. I really do. I think that's very there helpful. Because I believe in a lot of stories, especially the stories that hit home the most for people are the yeah. people that see themselves in some part of your story. Right. Where they can really relate or live vicariously through what you're talking about, through your yep. experiences and be like, you know what? I can relate to that. And they're gonna pay attention a little bit more, right? So I think that's really important. Well, I can relate to your story. I, I had a I had a bad boss. Um I've had bad coaches. I had a my yeah. basketball coach that was just verbally so abusive to us in high school. Um, probably a nice guy, but on the court he was just he was just he wasn't a good coach, um, from that yeah. standpoint. Um, I was overweight, um, you know, before I quit drinking five years ago, I was almost 190 pounds. I'm 154 now. So, yeah. you know, and I, so I, I, when you talked about the two things you went through, I could relate to what you went through, you know, um, you know, it's really beautiful too, because I really realized that now that hope wasn't really my enemy. And correct. I kind of learned that life is like a video game. You know, you're going yeah. the right way the enemies you encounter. Yeah, but enemies aren't always in the form of people. Like hope was a person, but it really was the enemy of depression, the enemy of self doubt, the enemy of just the job, the task, the, the stress. She was just the avatar in that. And yeah. I realized that when you really conquer and you have a strong mental health, when you have no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm. I truly really yeah. believe, that. and I believe that's the way to conquer mental health. And I like a lot of people that go through depression, go through certain things. They look at what they don't have rather than what they do have. And if I was back then in that magic store and I realized, hey, I do have my master's. Hey, I'm alive. Hey, mm -hmm. I have the ability to become better, to become stronger. So I started looking at the positive things. And I think I would have conquered a lot of those enemies within a lot sooner. And then hope wouldn't have been a problem. You know, there's something I kind of started recently to um, help me get through 
self-doubt and, you know, thinking about the past and stuff. A, a, a friend of mine, um, his name's Ron Carson. He runs Carson Wealth Management out of Omaha. Um, done a super job on the advisory side, you know, built this behemoth practice up. But now he's really, you know, he's really segueing into, he's about my age, um, another part of, uh, of living. And that's uh, things to give back, you know, in service and stuff. And I was talking to Ron. He's really big into, you know, world poverty and, and water purification and mental health. Those are like the three things he's big on. And I was telling him, I said, you know, gosh, you know, a lot of times I get captured in thought. I go back into when Seth was alive. I go back when my wife was alive. I go back and look at decisions I made. And, you know, we, I think as humans, we spend an an inordinate amount of time, what I call captured in thought, you know, going back to memories that really, really, in all honesty, doesn't, they don't exist anymore. Nothing, nothing exists anymore. All we have is like right now, all I have is my moment with you, Terrence. And we, but yet we spend so much time captured in, in, in memories and things that just don't exist anymore. And the universe doesn't care. The universe is really hypersensitive on today and right this moment. It doesn't really care about, you know, a dog doesn't know about its childhood. You know, I mean, most things other than humans don't spend a lot of time in the past. And that's, again, it's okay if we spend time in the past on productive things, but we don't, we're inclined to be drawn to the bad things, just like we are watching TV shows. You know, we watch the news, we want to see cops and we want to see live PD and we want to watch that stuff because it's, it's, it's exhilarating. But I think our memories can do the same thing. We get really stuck going backwards. And then you look at the anxiety about the future. You know, what am I going to do when I graduate college and how's your VR company going to do? How's my app going to do in July? So we spent all this time in two realms of the universe that really don't exist. There is, there is no past really. You can't go back there. And there really is no future because we're not there yet. I mean, a meteor could hit the earth in 10 seconds and we, we could all die. So it's imperative for us to really find ways to be present. And so Ron told me this quote, Terrence, and I love this quote. And he grabbed my arm because I, I was really getting worked up on some things. And he said, Jeff, you are exactly where you need to be in your life. Yeah, You're exactly where you need to be. You don't need to be any further behind. You don't need to be any further ahead. Everything you've done up to your life has come to this podcast with Terrence Williams. Yeah. Everything else, you know, isn't really that important. And so that that's kind of helped me lately when I've struggled with anxiety and, and stress about projects I'm working on and maybe loose ends, like an email I didn't respond to a week ago. And maybe that person's not going to like me anymore. And, but I've really got now, okay, I'm right where I need to be. You know, and you know that's mental illness in general is typically when people are either living in the past or right. living in the future, right? right? So people are thinking like, oh, I shouldn't have done this and they're depressed about it. Or people are worried about their job security or their, their love life in the future instead of really just focusing in on the now. And, you know- That's living, all we have. That's all we have is right now. That's all we have. But it's, but all we have is, it, it really is the now because you can't change tomorrow and you can't really prepare for the future, right? So it's kind right. of like worrying about things that you can't worry about. And this is why I go into- People worry about what they don't have rather than what they do have. If you worry about what you do have, you're living in that present moment at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, living in the past, living in the future can be very dangerous because you can live in the future. Let's say I, I win an award for something in my head. Yeah, I'm him. I'm the greatest. I can mm-hmm. do this instead of and then, you know, something can happen in the future where they could take this award away or mm-hmm. you're living in the past saying I can't become something. I can't be great because right. of what I made in the past. Right. But if you really just took the time to say, what can I do? to make today the best day possible. How I can make my happiness the best day possible. How can I make my loved ones the most 
happy right now? How can I just do my best at my job and just take it day by day? There was a story where this guy, this kid got lost in the woods and he couldn't see where he was going. And the owl was in a, was in a tree and he was scared. And the owl said, what's wrong? The kid said, I don't know where I'm going. The owl said, do you see your feet? He said, yeah. He said, just take one step at a time mm. and you'll find your way out. And I think that's how we should more so look at life. We kind of look at, I can't see the end of the forest. I can't see behind me. I can't see in front of me what side to side. But if I can just see what I see right now in front of me and just take one step forward, eventually you're going to get to your destination. Yeah. And look at the unknown as, you know, I mean, I get, I get frustrated when we, I look at kids and I look at what society wants to do, you know, so we have things like anxiety and, and sleep issues and, you know, uh, stress and anxiety, all the things that, you know, can, can cause problems, but that's what makes us human. And yeah. If we take all that away and if we find ways to re to just basically eliminate stress, eliminate anxiety, eliminate fear, um, I think we just turn into cyborgs and androids. And I don't know if that's really what we want to do as humans is to try to dumb us down to like be a machine when, like when I think, well, I think anxiety is, is great. I think, I think fear is great. I think um, having really hope is. and. Yeah, I but but it's how long you dwell there. That's that's key. And anybody that's out there that's a motivational speaker or a life coach that's trying to eliminate all these things that make us human, be careful what you wish for. I, I don't want I don't want a fifteen year old that's a that's a robot. I I don't want that. I want a fifteen year old that cries and laughs and feels anxiety yeah. and all that stuff. This is once he goes to the park to play with his friends. Oh, we just missed the good old days. I knew we were talking about being a gentleman and helping a lady with her bags. That at the at the airplane but i remember just have i seen a a woman even 20 30 years old and i'm 13 and she's standing on the bus i just get up like yeah. it was just it was, right. it was just new like nobody right. had to tell you to do it you just felt an obligation and yeah. a duty to protect now, were, your that. were your parents pretty strong in your life a big influence when you were growing up yeah i had both my parents in my life but it, you know they never really sat down and said you hold the door open for a woman you take you know get flowers and stuff it was just understood. It was implied. It was, it was implied, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you treat you treat a woman like you would want to treat your mother. Like and it was right. just how it was back in the day. And it was an easier time. It was way more nicer then. And they're right. Like I I went on dates before and I gave a girl flowers. She's like, Why you gotta give me this flower? I gotta hold this for the whole night. I'm just like, there was a time <laughs> where there was a time where that was it. That was the that was the well, move I'm, to make. And I'm I'm quite a bit older than you and you know, even paying for dinners on a date, you know, I, I first of all you know, I haven't had a date since before I got married. So my wife's been gone almost two years and I haven't been on a date or anything. It's not something I'm interested in at this point in my life, but I can, I can imagine going on a date with somebody, you know, another, you know, individual uh, female that's say, you know, 50 and me offering to buy dinner. It's like, I'd be terrified to offer. I don't know what the response is going to be. I don't know if women in that age group are more like me where they're okay with a man paying for things. That's just what I did when I went through the dating. I just paid for things. I don't know if women today would take offense to that or if a woman feels like, well, if Jeff buys me dinner, he's going to think I owe him something. It's like, I don't. I just, I grew up. <laughs> I That's the way I grew up. And yeah. And so, you know, if I get back, not if, but when I, when I get back into the dating scene, I am a little bit worried about offering to pay or coming out. And, what's that? How do you feel about gender roles? Because that's kind of, you know, the man paying is kind of like a gender role. So are you saying you still believe in the gender role process? I do, do for, me, for me, but I yeah. think I'm old school. I think I'm going to meet women that are going to take offense to that. 
And I don't, I don't know how to react to that. Cause that's, I'm again, I've, I've been married 21 years. So for for 25 years of my life, I have not been on the dating scene. So the last 25 years, you know, we didn't have online dating before I got married. We didn't have, you know, dating apps, you know, we went to bars or went to social places and met people and actually had to have, had to go up, had to go up and ask a woman out for a date. You know, today you can do all that without ever having a face-to-face conversation until the moment you're on the date. And that that's difficult for people in my generation because we're not used to that. Well, it's more different for men. It's really a beneficial for women because women, oh, yeah. they yep. can literally just have their DMs open and athletes, yep. rich guys, average guys, people yep. not even in your town can hit them up. Like you're saying yep. back in the day is whoever's in your town, that was your pool right. to date. Right. Now the world has opened up so much more. Instagram is the biggest dating app. We have Tinder. We have Hinge. We have all these different types yeah. of things. And women only swipe right 5% of the time. Men are swiping and swiping and they're not getting chosen because See, I don't know what women, that means because I've never been on a dating app. <laughs> well, that means, so that means you like say, somebody, you swipe a certain direction or. Yeah. So let's say there's a thousand profiles and you okay. swipe a thousand different women that okay. you want to swipe right. Like you're interested in only 5% of those women will actually show interest back. Interesting. Yeah. So it's pretty, and it's because they have a thousand other guys doing yeah. the same thing. So they're able to say, okay, he looks rich. He looks broke. He's really cute. What right. kind of car do you know, they're able they, to have? They can be more selective than we can. Absolutely. And, and you know, back in the day, you know, when we went to a bar or whatever. I mean, it was it was pretty equal with single men, single women. So yeah. you're saying today that the playing field's kind of shifted, where single men have a lot harder time to find a relationship than say a single woman does. It's more competition because they're yeah. not just facing the people in their society and their community. They're facing everybody on Tinder, everybody on Instagram, yeah. everybody on every, you know, when they go on, women go on trips way more now too. So like when you're going out, seeing all these different people, you can actually meet somebody. If you're from Miami, you're going on a trip to Orlando or you're going on a trip to Charlottesville, whatever. You can actually meet somebody and stay connected with them because you have Instagram, you have all these different things to keep a relationship and, going. And you know what's sad for me, Terrence, is and you know these people where you know they're in a relationship for a little while. It's you know guns a blazing. They're posting things on Facebook, and then you find out they are not together, and then you find out that you know the woman or the man is like within two weeks is like right back in another relationship, and yeah. you know there's that element of of people that get into relationships very quickly because they can't be alone. I think that's one of the problems of mental health today is that we, we like, we're not good being alone. Um, we yeah. need to have somebody in our lives. And if you're a person, cause humans are connected, you know, species, we need to be connected, but there's yeah. something to say when you have an opportunity to get to know yourself better, i.e. you get divorced or you break up with someone after a long relationship, don't hurry right back into something because you've got a window of opportunity here where you can really get to love yourself and get to really know yourself. So when you meet somebody, you're a lot more open to being in a healthy relationship instead of a codependent one where you have to be in a relationship. I know people that can't be single. They just cannot be yeah. alone for a weekend. They have that's to have somebody. That's another enemy within, right? That's what yeah. I was saying. There's no enemy within and the outside can do us no harm. When you have that love for your within yourself and you're able to understand who you are understand even just knowing certain details what ticks you off right what happy these little different yep. things you're able to understand when certain things come in your life certain obstacles how to maneuver from it because you know how it's going to deteriorate right. and that's what a lot of 
just men and women just need to have is to have that self-love within themselves before they give it to others. Because if you don't love yourself, somebody else is definitely not going to love you. Yeah, no, that's great. See, isn't that funny how we started off with VR and now we're talking about dating? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love about this podcast because, you know, these conversations aren't just about one thing. I mean, mental health is, is your joy, your peace that you have in your life. And we have this, we have this innate desire to become happy, which is so short and fleeting and so, you know, unrewarding, you know, you can go buy something and be happy, but it's not going to add any peace and joy to your life. And you got to find ways to almost have less happiness and more peace and joy. And you get that through self-reflection, being in love with yourself. And then that'll allow you to be able to open up to somebody else better. Right. And that's why I kind of speak the differences between men and women. And going back on dating, too, I can go on about this forever. Actually, dating in the metaverse, virtual reality is actually a real thing. I have met couples that have met in the metaverse who are still, who actually got married in real life and are married till this day. So even the aspect of just not even Tinder hands, but people are getting dating VR, it's all completely different. And, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a completely different world that we're living in now. And I kind of mentioned this before, you know, if we really, you know, part about loving yourself is to kind of understand who you are and your purpose. And a lot of big things is too, is a man, again, we were talking about why, you know, when it comes to, helping the lady out when it comes to her groceries or buying a certain meal because deep down we know in our biology god created us to be protecting and providing and if we're not doing that to an extent whether it's for our community or for our loved one we're feeling like we're missing something so i like every man needs to find something that where they feel as though they're contributing something to society because when you're contributing you're giving back you're gaining so much more right you're gaining love you're gaining knowledge you're gaining all these different types of things that we seem to be lacking now, especially in manhood. And I, I tell men all, all the time, like a lot of it is big on you. You have to step up and be, be a man. That's what yeah. women want. And women want to feel loved and accepted. And if you can't make a woman feel loved and accepted and you can't protect and provide for her, a lot of that goes on you as well. It's not always pointing the finger and saying, this person's right, this person's wrong. It starts within yourself. Yeah. And a lot of these kids that are having these really big mental health breakdowns going in and shooting schools and shooting, you know, just horrible things that they're doing, you know, in an age of their life where they should be thinking about college and marriage and things like that. They come from families that are fairly dysfunctional. Um, yeah. You know, whether, whether, whether the, the dad has left or the mom, you know, is, is a substance abuser or they're just a toxic adult situation. I mean, I think I told you earlier that, you know, 67% of American adults live paycheck to paycheck. So yeah. that financial stress on the family when, and you also look at like 80% can't get their hands on a thousand dollars. So yeah. you have a huge generation of kids in households that are just already statistically <laughs> seven out of 10 households are just, you know, really make a tough environment for the kids. And then you get mom and dad, that get divorced and maybe the mom leaves, maybe the dad leaves. And I think there's something to say about, uh, and, and women, I don't, I don't want to, I want to be careful because you know, you got to be careful today, kind of what you say a little bit, but then again, it's my podcast. I don't care, but I think women will never understand. Women will never understand that innate protector mindset that most men are just, I think we're just born with. I just, you know, I, I just feel, I feel like I need to protect my sons. I feel like I need to protect my dad. I feel like I need to protect my employees when I worked. I feel like I needed to protect my wife when she was alive. And, and that was something that was validated through, life experiences as a child where my mom and dad said, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Open the door. Yeah. That's the right thing to do to, 
pay for somebody's uh, if they're at the store and they at the cashier and they look they look poor and they don't have money and someone says, well, you don't have enough money for this milk. You just step in and pay for it. I mean, and, and that's just I grew up that way. I'm 57, dude. I'm not changing. I'm not going to just all of a sudden conform to society at my age and say, okay, I'm not going to open doors anymore. I'm not going to tell somebody they look nice. You know, hey, that's a nice dress. You know, shit, back in the day, I, I you, you never got worried about someone saying, well, that's, you know, you're, you're sexually harassing me. You know, I just, that never yeah. crossed my mind 40 yeah, years ago that, that telling somebody they looked beautiful wasn't bad. But today I feel like I can't say that. And it's just, it's sad. It's unfortunate. Well, you- you can't, unfortunately. <laughs> and a lot of it is, is unfortunately, I'm just going to say this, a lot of it is part of a feminism movement. And, you know, when feminism, they first started out, it was to gain equal rights, et cetera. And I believe there was a beautiful movement. It was supposed to be for that because women deserve to be treated as equals to men. Yeah. We are all humans. But what has become since then has been just, to me, just a bashing of just men where we don't need men in general. And well, we're men, confused. We're confused. We don't know what the hell to say to people. We we don't know what to say or do because of conflicting single uh, signals in society. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true too. Because yeah, you know, you say the wrong thing, you could get fired. If you know, fat shaming is a thing. You can't say that a woman is fat. You can't. You know, so you're almost like you're almost like better not to say anything. Yeah, and, and that that sucks because we lose connection if we are afraid to communicate because of some adverse reaction that we can't predict somebody's going to have. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard too, because it's kind of like, where is that balance? Because you, a man shouldn't be able to afraid to tell, you know, I think it was in the United Kingdom that, what was it? That if you yell at your wife during an argument, it's, it was some, it was, it's something on one of those lines that a lot of these things can be fine that you can get, uh, charge for assault or something like that. Mm. And I don't want to call me on it, but there's, there's a lot of strict laws when it comes to just the language barrier that a man, a husband can do to his wife that is now even constricted to where you can't even say what you want to say without repercussions of losing your job, getting arrested, etc. And we see this now a lot. You know, even if, it's a difference when a man says something about a woman when it comes to media than when a woman says something about a man. When a man says something or he gets an allegation thrown against him, his job is literally done. Like, look at yeah. like the Johnny Depp situation. Like, if he didn't have evidence, he would have been yeah. annihilated. And we yeah. just live in a society where you can post something on social media, say one thing, and everyone will just believe whatever <laughs> they want you to believe. And it's sad because it was going to make men afraid to be men. And that's probably a huge issue right now. Men are afraid to be men because we're going to get criticized for it. If you're a man and you stick up for masculinity, they're just going to call it toxic. Right. Yeah, it's... You know, especially kids today, it's it's arguably the hardest time ever to be a teenager in the United States, for sure. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way because we have more things than we've ever had before. I mean, there's more ability to tap resources, there's more ability to do alternative things like VR for mental health, things that I didn't have growing up. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't really a lot of options if I was struggling with my mental health when I was 18 back in the late 80s, you know, or actually, shit, I graduated in 84 high school. So you're looking at late 70s early eighties, yeah. there wasn't many options, Terrence. You just went out and shot baskets in your driveway for two hours, or you went out in the woods and you walked down the stream and you looked for frogs and snakes when you were a kid. And you just, you just did something. You did something. You didn't sit around and watch Fox news for three hours and get pissed off because, right. you know, people are random. People are getting punched in the face on the streets, which right. again, that's what kids see today. So, Hey, listen, I want to, you're you're in rare air. Um, 
less than 10% of my podcasts go an hour. So, we, uh, <laughs> so that tells you how good our conversation's been. Um, no, I, I do. Uh, I do like to have a cutoff around an hour. People's attention spans start to wane, but how do people reach you? What's the easiest way for people to find out more about meta wellness? Um, and yeah. uh, we'll end it with that. Yeah. If you're interested in having your own platform, whether it's for exposure therapy, group therapy, one-on-one settings, I've done stuff with like rage rooms, all different types of just mm. different aspects that I've built. You know, the creativity is really up to you all. So you can find me at www.metawellness.space or you can find me on Instagram at Terrence Williams VR. I saw uh, in a mall here, never seen this before, but they have like a, a rage room where yeah. you can come in and grab a hammer or an ax or something. I don't know how they do it. And you can go in there and destroy stuff, whatever. And you yeah. can throw paint on the walls. And you know, that that's, again, that's an, it's, it's a, that's a, that's an outgrowth of a society that can't find ways to release angst, you know? And a lot of people can't afford going to a rage room, right? So being able to go in VR and pick up a bat and a hammer and break a TV and some sinks and cast registers, all types of fun stuff you can do in there. I may have and to try that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty I may cool. have to try that. <laughs> Well, listen, um, really appreciate your time, Terrence. Um, really enjoyed this conversation and um, keep living undeterred. Okay, man? You as well. Thank you. Take care.